Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Dog and Duck Show. It is week 11. The Huskies are 10 and 0. The Ducks are 9 and 1. The Huskies have once again come in at number 5 in the nation and once again the Oregon Ducks are right on their tails at number 6 in the country. Welcome to the Dog and Duck Show. My name is Warren. I'm the dog. With me, as always, is my co-host, Mark Schmore. He is the duck. Mark, how are you doing, my friend? Warren, my my team is 9-1. and one. It's late November. We've got a road trip coming up to Arizona State. That exact situation has never happened before, unless you count 2019, when everything uh, went to hell in Tempe, Arizona. So uh, I'm doing I'm doing great. I'm I'm excited for uh, for where Oregon is in the season and uh, excited to talk ducks and and a little bit of dogs. Absolutely, and you know this is a great you know week for us to get into stuff because both teams, I think for the first time in a while that I can remember, Mark. Both teams had a pretty significant game on the same weekend and neither one of them blew out their opposition. And it's been a while since uh, we haven't had at least one of those two teams, you know, not have kind of a meaningless game in some regards. So let's get into it. Of course, the Washington Huskies, uh, they came up big at home against Utah 35 to 28 uh, in a game that I think in many ways was was exactly what we expected. And then in other ways, not at all what we were anticipating. And so, you know, it, very much the, the tale of two halves. The first half, it looked more like uh, it looked more like Washington versus USC. And the second half looked like Washington versus ASU a few weeks earlier, where Everything was all offense on the on the the first half, and due to a few missed tackles, uh, the you know the the Utes were able to convert on some long touchdown drives. We stopped them three and out to open the game, and then they had four straight touchdown drives. And you would have thought that we were playing against a Heisman candidate quarterback, and not like the third string pig farmer that uh he really was so um certainly a uh, a stupefying performance by the the defense in the first half but uh Penix and crew were able to trade blow for blow uh for most of the the first half and then the second half the husky defense came out and completely tightened the screws on this Utah team the missed tackles dropped dramatically and uh in that second half mark zero points allowed 57 yards allowed averaging 2.7 yards per play two interceptions one safety one should have been a pick six and we'll talk about that in a little bit and uh zero first downs zero points in the fourth quarter so man this was uh just like wow what a turnaround and I, I know every reporter every you know beat writer has been asking the question what was the difference and I think it it really was a culmination of 
these guys kind of got their heads on straight at halftime. They made the tackles. They made some adjustments. And now the question is, can they build on that momentum with the defense as they head into the final stretch of the season? Because they're absolutely going to need it. Yeah, it was uh, it was just just a bizarre a bizarre game, and it's one of those games where you would love to be a fly on the wall and go into uh, halftime and hear what the Washington coaches are saying to one another because it was clear that Utah came in with some sort of game plan that was able to expose some sort of vulnerability within Washington's defensive scheme, and yet it's equally clear that Washington was able to properly diagnose that. And once they were able to make the adjustment, Utah did not have any sort of counterpunch, you know, available to them. And um, games like this, they've got to be so frustrating for fans of both sides because as a Washington (laughs) fan, you're saying, why could we not have made that adjustment like halfway through the second quarter? You know, why did we have to wait till halftime? And if you're a Utah fan, it's like, well, why couldn't we figure out something else to do to generate? Like if we if we found a way to to get points and then they did something to take that away, why couldn't we do something else to start generating, you know, uh, some drives? Right. In a so it's it's yeah, it's one of those just kind of fluky things sometimes that happens in football where uh, a game can turn at halftime and just take on a completely different life form. Well, Mark, I I went to this game with uh, a buddy of mine named Scott, and Scott had a friend of his who's also named Scott. And so we were riding on the bus uh, along with Scott's wife and we're sitting there, we're on the bus, we're talking about the game and the young man sitting across from us on this bus filled with Huskies, he leans over and he says, excuse me, are you the host of the dog and duck show? (laughs) And I, I was like, Oh, yeah. And he's like, I recognized your voice. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, he he really enjoyed Mark, uh, our show. And he said he loves the scenarios that we rolled out. And, and he said, I got to be careful. I don't spend too much time thinking about all those scenarios. But, you know, during the game, when I was, you know, watch, I was sitting there watching the game with Scott in the stadium and I probably looked over to him like five times during the game and just said, we cannot get a two score lead to save our lives. And it's been that way for the last five weeks. Yeah. It's like, you know, we, I think maybe since we got up by 11 against Oregon, we have not been able to get a two score lead or hold on to it for any significant amount of time all season. And so it seems like either the Husky offense scores a touchdown and then the defense just lets them right back in or the, the defense is holding its ground. And then all of a sudden the Husky offense has a fumble inside the 10 yard line or a critical uh, interception as they're driving down the field. And so, you know, I think if you're, uh, a nominal fan and you're looking at this like from the national perspective and you're just looking at the box scores and you're looking at oh Washington only won by seven points or nine points or ten points this week against this team you know it would be easy to go man 
all these games must have been really close. But really, in almost every game, it was a matter of two or three plays that if those two two or three plays had gone differently, we would have blown the doors open of of the win. And so I think that was kind of, again, part of this story. And it was almost like hilarious. And yet at the same time, I almost lost my Christianity when it (laughs) happened. And that was, you know, the Utah is, is making their way down the field. They get into the red zone. They, they throw a pass. Alfonso Tupatala, who is uh, a senior linebacker for the University of Washington, gets a tip pass, takes it to the house, goes about 90 yards with the the ball in his hands. He's weaving around defenders, outrunning tacklers, and gets to not the one-inch line, like the one-and-a-half-yard line. Yeah. And does the little toss back of the ball behind his back and runs into the end zone and kind of sticks his hands up. Two other Huskies run right past the ball and start celebrating. And then a random Utah defender just is like walking up almost and like, oh, they haven't blown the whistle and the ball's sitting right there. I guess I better pick it up. And thankfully... Uh, another one of our defenders was uh, Jabbar Muhammad was smart enough to at least tap him once he touched the ball to keep him from, from moving with it. Mark, you know, we've talked a lot about our coaches Yeah, and you know, you're a staunch defender of Dan Lanning. I'm a staunch defender of Kalen DeBoer and we'll talk about what he's accomplished because it's truly remarkable but I thought to myself, how could a team that is this well coached, a team that that has, you know, been trained for moments like this, allow something like this to happen? Because every single coach has shown clips of these types of plays. Deshaun Jackson and so many others ha- have shown these clips and said, don't do this. This is like absolutely 101 if you're a defender or if you're an offensive player cross the line don't drop the ball don't celebrate too early don't be that guy so mark i'm sure as a as a duck fan you were just rolling with glee when that happened but what were your thoughts as you watched that unfold well my thoughts were a couple things one the immediate thought I had was to an Oregon Utah game back, and I want to say it was 2013. That was a uh, peak Mariota, very highly ranked Duck team playing Utah, and Utah had a wide receiver by the name of Kalen Clay, who seemed to score on a long touchdown, dropped the ball at the one yard line. The camera and the commentators immediately go to celebrating. And nobody figures out that Oregon linebacker Joe Walker had picked up the ball and was returning it for a touchdown until he's about 50 yards the other way when the when the announcers go, what what's going on? And he managed to run it all the way back 100 yards for a touchdown that totally changed the the momentum of that game. So I think for Utah fans watching it, it was they know very well uh, about a play like this that actually turned out much, much worse. Uh, so as I was watching it, as I, as I was saying, you know what, like having a guy pick it up and run it a hundred yards is a lot different than having a defensive lineman 
fall on it at the one yard line because mm-hmm. obviously it set up Washington to secure a safety on the very next play. And I mean, hindsight's always 2020, right? Nobody would expect this guy to do that, but that defender for Utah would have been a lot better, like just kicking the ball through the end zone, like trying oh, to yeah. do something yeah. to just um, get it so that they got the ball with some, a little better field position. Um, but obviously in, in the heat of the moment, he's just going to kind of fall on it. Uh, but, but that was my thought Warren was, well, with the Deshaun Jackson example or with the Kalen clay example, these are wide receivers who should know how to score a touchdown. At least yeah. this player for Washington is a defensive player. Who's probably never been in this situation before. So, you know, there's a, a little more grace and understanding for a defensive player in that situation. Uh, but still, I mean, it was just this wild, wild chain of events yeah. to go from the elation of a pick six or the, you know, the uh, desecration of a pick six if you're a Utah fan. And then he drops the ball and Utah has yeah. kind of new life. And then the safety on the aftermath and then you Washington then getting the ball back uh, with a chance to put the hammer down. I mean, it was just this crazy, you know, chaotic uh, momentum swing after momentum swing in the span of of, you know, one play. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm not going to try to defend the play. I'm not going to try to justify it. I'm not going to try to find a silver lining in it. You know, I heard uh, Softy and Mario Bailey and, you know, Greg Lewis all debating whether or not it was the play of the game or the worst play of the game. But for me, inexcusable. And uh, why so would it be the, why would it be the play of the like the most memorable play of the game? Is well, that what they're saying? So, you know, that that was their debate was Greg Lewis was with me that that was that was the worst play of the game. Mario Bailey's perspective was he he took the ball as they were driving in the red zone and he got it all the way back to the one yard line. It resulted in a safety. And it right. also took nine minutes off of the clock. Right. So, yeah, in, in that respect. But when you have the opportunity to put seven points on the board as a defense yeah. and you literally drop the ball, you can never call that the, the play of the game, in my opinion. Yeah. And so, yeah. uh, so I'm not, I'm not going to, I mean, you know, I drink Kool-Aid purple sure. every day of the week and twice on Saturdays but I'm not going to defend it. It was just an inexcusable play. And, and so, you know, maybe the moral of the story is that even great teams with great coaches can make some serious bonehead mistakes, but, you know, Mark, what Kalen DeBoer has done, you know, it's just like the resume continues to grow. They're, 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 they've got the second longest winning streak in the nation now, 17 games in a row. Kalen DeBoer has won uh, 21 of his first 23 games as a head coach for the University of Washington. He's undefeated at home, and he's got this Washington Husky team on the verge of a college football playoffs and a Pac-12 championship. And so, I mean, whatever happens from here, it, it, you know, it's just going to continue to, to write the story, but what he's done cannot be taken away from him. It's been truly, truly remarkable. And I think, especially when you look at the state of the program 
from a culture standpoint, when he arrived, it couldn't have been any worse. And so I think just seeing that turnaround has been so amazing and so fast, so fast is what's so amazing. So, uh, you know, I couldn't be more thrilled with that. Mark, let's, let's welcome on our guest today. We're, we're excited to have a beaver joining us on the dog and duck show. So why don't you introduce your good friend, Jared, Jared Hooper. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, the man who needs no introduction, uh, Jared Hooper is a longtime friend of mine and a not only a, a Beaver fan, but an Oregon State alum and uh, an Oregon State alum who happens to be married into a season ticket holding Oregon Duck family, which is one of my favorite <laughs> about him is that he's, he's forced several times a year to hate watch the Oregon Ducks. But uh, Jared, welcome to the program. Uh, super excited to be on. Thanks for having me. Uh, I don't listen every week, but I make sure to uh, to check in and listen to uh, shows following uh, Beaver games, and then especially <laughs> listening to you guys' banter following uh, Duck and uh, Husky games. Uh, and I oh, yeah. enjoyed it, especially the last two years. Uh, I had the pleasure of going to the game last year uh, at Autzen stadium, uh, and definitely was cheering for the Huskies there. And then I was there, what was that? 2019 when, uh, at Autzen stadium, when the Washington kicker, I don't remember his name missed that the game winning field goal, then it went into Payton overtime. Henry. Yeah. But, yeah. So it was cool to see, uh, him get that redemption. Um, but yeah, super excited to be on and, uh, uh, thanks for having me. All right. So Jared, I got to ask you a question right yeah. at right at the the get-go okay mm-hmm. so i think most husky fans would agree with me on this that when you think about if you're a husky fan when you think about the ducks you're like i hate those guys they suck yeah they can they can burn in hell you know when when you think <laughs> about the cougars you think that's our classic rival the in-state they're the ones that wish they could have gone to the university of washington but instead they had to settle for Washington state university. When I, when I think what I think most Husky fans think about Cougars is I really like those guys. I hope they do. Okay. Yeah. When, excuse me, when, when, when the Huskies think about the Beavers, I think that most Husky fans think I really like those guys. They're, they're good dudes. I hope everything (laughs) works out well for them. So does that, does do do you like the fact that Husky fans have a generally generally favorable feeling towards Beavers, or does that feel like you know a patronizing uh you know attitude towards the Beavers? I mean, it could be patronizing in the sense that uh, Oregon State. You know, I was looking back at, on College Football Reference just historically how bad the program's been over the past four or five decades. So it's understandable that like people like want to see a team be successful. That's been pretty bad. So, I mean, I guess it's not too patronizing, but you know, it's nice to have another team uh, have your back uh, in their, your, your hatred to a (laughs) a college football program. Um, Jared, has that changed at all in the, in the past few months as the university of Washington is filing lawsuits against the PAC two? Does that, uh, (laughs) 
how does that change your your feeling towards the University of Washington? I mean, it, they're just representing the rest of the conference because that you know, just the convenience factor. I think that they're in Washington, so they're 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 representing the rest of it. But I mean, the, it just got announced tonight that uh, you know the judge ruled in favor of uh, the two the two Pac the mm-hmm. Pac two schools. Uh, but I mean, it's going to get appealed and. You know, they're looking out for themselves just like the rest of the, the, the 10 schools did. Um, you know, they, they kind of got kicked to the curb and, uh, you know, they're not giving up without a fight and I don't blame them. Um, and uh, it is what it is. But, you know, when, when it comes to the ap- actual games, I'm glad to, to know the Huskies, you know, will support uh, the Beavers in that sense. But, um, yeah, it's kind of the end of all that, unfortunately, this year. But at least uh, these next few weeks will have their, their back, well, at least after this weekend. So, yeah. Jared, what's your yeah. feeling about the Huskies when they're playing somebody other than the Ducks or the Beavers? Like if, if Washington is playing like Arizona State and they're having the uh, this year, are you just like actively rooting against them? Or are you indifferent? Pretty indifferent, I'd say. I mean, I was watching that game and Arizona State should have won and I was kind of hoping – for that they had all the chances in the world it felt like Arizona State had the ball five or six times in Husky territory and just couldn't do anything and the only I mean Washington's offense didn't win that game a pick six won that game yeah uh so uh yeah I mean overall pretty indifferent I'd say uh but when it comes to the Ducks you know I I think I take greater pleasure in seeing them lose than the Beavers win (laughs) oh I guarantee you take greater pleasure in seeing the Ducks lose and seeing yeah. the Beavers win because I was your, your text messages about it. That's it's, hilarious. It's, yeah. I mean, I, living in an area where in Oregon, everyone just jumped on the bandwagon the past 10 or 15 years. And uh, I have this, this joke that I heard uh, that I use all the time. I use it this morning uh, at the gym. Uh, you know, what are the one thing, what's the one thing Duck fans and Beaver fans have in common? they both didn't go to the university of Oregon. Mm, yeah. And yeah. it people are like, ah, oh, yeah, that sucks. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's understandable. They've been successful and people, it's easier yeah. to cheer for a program that's successful, but it's still, you know, I have a lot of pride in uh, as a graduate and will support them always. Well, I do think there is a dynamic that this may be of interest to Washington fans who are kind of outsiders to this rivalry. I think there was a dynamic where for many years, Oregon and Oregon State were on a pretty similar level and one might have kind of a decent year and the other one was pretty lousy and it might switch for a little bit. And there was the year that they were both really great in 2000 with Dennis mm-hmm. Erickson was at, at Oregon State and that was the Joey Harrington was at Oregon and um but I think for the most part, during those years, Oregon fans rooted for the Beavers when they weren't playing the Ducks, and Duck fans rooted for the Beavers when they weren't playing each other. Like there, there was kind of a mutual appreciation. And I think that changed right around like Chip Kelly's first year is when the two schools played for a spot in the Rose Bowl at the end of the year. Jared, you and I went to that game. Um, and and Beavers then- had a chance the year before. And uh, yeah, so the year before that, the Beavers had a chance to go to the Rose Bowl and the Ducks just throttled them. And then they played with both of them having a chance to go to the Rose Bowl and the Ducks won again. And then Oregon just took off under Chip Kelly and then Marcus Mariota. 
and they start playing for national titles and things like that. And I think that was the point where one, the bandwagon certainly grew. You had a ton of duck fans just come out of the woodwork all over the state. And then two, mm-hmm. I think the Beaver fans, it went from like, oh, I root for the ducks when they're not playing to Beavers to like, I want the ducks to lose every single yeah. time. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 Well, yeah, I mean, I was, I was in Corvallis when uh, at Oregon state, when Auburn beat, uh, Oregon and after they kicked that game winning field goal I mean it was like Oregon State had won the national championship in Corv- Corvallis you could hear people cheering our my house everyone was going crazy and uh yeah but that's the way it goes I guess yeah all right well before we crank the chainsaw and uh talk about the dogs and the beavers in a few minutes Mark let's talk about what we saw from the Oregon Ducks hosting the USC Trojans this past Saturday. Uh, you know, the the timing was, I think, interesting in that the Huskies had just played USC on the road at, at the Coliseum, uh, one by 10 points. I fully expected that Oregon was going to win this game by 30 or 40 points and that Bucky Irving was going to run for 400-plus yards in this game. It didn't quite turn out that way, but give us a breakdown of, you know, your perspective of the 36-27 win over the Trojans at home. Yeah, I think it's a game where if you looked at it, it just if you lived on the East Coast, you woke up the next day and you saw 36-27, you'd think, oh, that was a pretty, pretty competitive game. And yet if you watched it, there was never really any point where it felt like USC was had a chance really to win the game. Uh, so Oregon scored, they, Bo Nix hit Tez Johnson for a 77 yard touchdown on the first drive. Then he hit Troy Franklin for an 83 yard touchdown on the second drive. So Bo Nix had 160 yards passing like five minutes into the game. And, uh, and Oregon was pretty much in control through three quarters. It was 36 to 14 early in the fourth quarter. So first of all, for the Oregon defense to hold Caleb Williams and the offense to 14 points in three quarters was, was very impressive. And Oregon, yeah, was up 36 to 14. It felt like they'd left points on the field. They had one drive where they started at the one yard line, drove all the way down to the opposing like three yard line, and then had a couple penalties and had to kick a field goal. So it felt like they were leaving some points on the field, but still a three touchdown lead. And then the way the fourth quarter kind of unfolded is USC gets a couple touchdowns late. Oregon had one drive where they worked up a bunch of time and then missed a field goal. They had another drive where they just ran a bunch of time off and took a knee at the end of the game. Uh, So there was never a point where the Trojans even had the ball with a chance to tie. There was never a point where they got it within a possession. There was never a point where I was watching in the fourth quarter going like, oh my gosh, are we going to, give this game away it was more like a loss of of style points they went from having a 22 point lead to winning by nine which is not nearly as impressive i think it felt in the moment like gosh oregon probably should have won this game 49 to 21 uh so there is some some sloppiness within there way too many penalties for the ducks place kicking is now i think a full-on crisis for oregon with our fifth year senior Camden Lewis having uh, I think he's missed five kicks in the last six games. So there are some, some concerns certainly. Uh, And yet at the same time, like they held 
one of the most prolific offenses in the country to their lowest point total of the season, um, completely swallowed up the USC running game, which had been a real strength for them this year, uh, sacked Caleb Williams three times and had him on the run all game long. So I think it's one of those games where there's plenty to be excited about and also plenty of, of ways for Lanning to be riding those guys pretty hard this week uh, as you know points of correction that really need to be emphasized as they're going to try to finish the season on a strong note. Absolutely. So, uh, Jared, I'm wondering, like, as you as you've had a chance to kind of observe both of these teams, you know, what what is your takeaway about, you know, because now you're looking at a two week gauntlet as a as a Beaver fan of saying, okay, we're we're hosting the Huskies and then we're going on the road to play the Ducks, as you observe these two teams as a third party, you know, what, uh, what are your kind of your feelings about the strengths of these two teams and how the Beavers match up? Do you feel like the Beavers match up better against, you know, the Huskies or against the Ducks, the offense, the defense, what's your, what's your kind of your general observations about the teams? You know, looking into the, at, at this point, uh, I think the Huskies, that game is is the game that the Beavers have a much better chance to win. Uh, it's always tough to go to Autzen. Oregon State's or Oregon's defense looks very good. Uh, Oregon State struggles at tackling, and I know Oregon's really good, uh, like especially Bucky Irving breaking tackles. So that's something that that worries me quite a bit. Uh, I think Washington's been ripe for the for the be- taking and the beating the last five or six weeks. They've you know, they've just looking at their schedule. It's been just one or two possession uh, victories over the past six or seven weeks or so against teams that you wouldn't expect. Um, and you can see, you know, I think a lot of people would would agree with that. You, the line has switched. I think it opened at minus two and a half to the Huskies. And now it's, I think, uh, minus two and a half to the Beavers. So I think a lot of people, you know, see this as a chance for a game uh, for the Beavers to win. Uh, I think, Oregon State does a really good job controlling the possession uh, just with their run game. They have arguably a top five offensive line in the country. Um, so I think they really can control the the offensive line. I, I just don't know going to Autzen if they could, uh, you know, if they can do that. So that kind of worries me. But I think I think the Beavers have a really great chance to beat the Huskies uh, this weekend. And uh, I, I mean, Penix is good, but uh, – Oregon State's defense last year played pretty well against him. Uh, Oregon State had a chance to win. They should have won, uh, arguably. They could have won, I should say, easily in Seattle last year. Um, and they they dominated the line of scrimmage for, you know, especially that opening drive. They really took it to the Huskies. And I, I think Damian Martinez uh, could have a really good day uh, this weekend. Um, and just looking statistically, Washington, I saw, I think, what is it? They're seventh in the conference in rushing it, rushing defense and ninth in passing. Um, I mean, DJ, you doesn't have the, the, the yards that Bo Nix does. I mean, he's not dinking and dunking and getting those five or six yards, racking up a 78% uh, pass uh, completion, but he's, uh, he's shown that he can be poised. Um, and I think they can really control the offense and, 
you know, I, I think it's, they have a great shot on Saturday. That's great. I'm, breakdown. I'm, I'm looking at this game last week or from last year, uh, 24, 21 win for the Huskies. And if I remember right, Jared washing or Oregon state had two different possessions early in the game when they went for it on fourth down in Washington territory and got stuffed. I mm-hmm. think it's like the beginning Warren of whatever, like whatever um, medicine man that Kalen fourth down to, Juju to like yeah. to win every key defensive fourth down for the rest yeah. of time. I think it started in this game, but, uh, but the, so that was a game where it felt like the Beavers had a chance they went up seven nothing. It felt like they could have gone up twenty one nothing if they'd take advantage of those two turnovers. They didn't do it. Um, then it's kind of back and forth. But th- the biggest X factor that I see in the difference of last year versus this year is you had Ben Goldbrunson, who is now your third string quarterback. He's had one completion the whole season. Yeah, just, just this last weekend. So he was the starter in that game last year, and threw for eighty seven yards. And that was still yeah. a, a three-point game that wasn't decided until, you know, the final uh, Peyton Henry's field goal with eight seconds to play. So it does seem like you've got a, like a real quarterback now, like oh, yeah. Yeah, he's not Michael Penix or Bo Nix, but he's a real quarterback who's had some real nice games. And I, I mean, that's got to give Beaver fans a different sense of, of confidence just in the offense that you're not this one dimensional team, which was good enough to overcome a 21 point lead against Oregon. Let's, let's acknowledge that, you know, I'll get out ahead of that, but, um, (laughs) but this is a more complete offense uh, than you had last year. uh, And that, that could be a real game changer. Yeah. He's played really well. Uh, And maybe I shouldn't say really well. He's just been poised. Uh, Maybe his completion percentage doesn't jump off the board and his overall total yardage doesn't jump off the board, but he's, uh, really controlled the ball, hasn't uh, made bad decisions, knock on wood, hasn't thrown an interception since I think week five uh, against Utah. Um, and they also have Aiden Childs yeah. who comes in. You will see him. Uh, Jonathan Smith stuck with him. Every third possession, Aiden Childs comes in at quarterback. He, I believe, in 24-7's final rankings last year, he was the number seventh ranked quarterback in the country. Uh, and he's given him a chance. I don't recall how many touchdowns he has, but his three or four had a, a big one on the road, running touchdown on the road a couple days ago or a couple weeks ago in Boulder uh, that really helped or the opening touchdown that game. He threw one, uh, thrown a couple to Jack Velling, the tight end. Um, and he'll, he will go out there no matter what, where they're out on the field, whether they're down, you know, 14, nothing already. Uh, he will be out there um, and he's solid. And, uh, yeah, he's had a few touchdowns. He's had some, some bad throws, but, um, you know, he's dynamic and maybe, uh, there gets a point. Let's say the Beavers get down and they need to get a running quarterback in there. Um, you may see him later in the game. So he, that's mm-hmm. always an option, but it is nice knowing to have, we have a competent quarterback because well, last year, Oregon state lost to USC 14 to 10 and chance Nolan, uh, threw four interceptions that game and they still only lost by four. So it's, it is very nice having a, a just solid quarterback. Um, and that, you know, that could be the difference. Absolutely. Uh, I think that that is the difference so far. I mean, if you look at like, you know, Oregon state versus Utah and basically last year, Utah had cam rising 
And this year, Oregon State has a above average Pac-12 quarterback. And, you know, that to me has been the difference for sure for this Pac-12 team. And I don't watch a lot of the, the Oregon State games, but I always check the stat lines. And it seems like every single game, Aiden Childs is responsible for a touchdown drive or points on the board. So he's doing enough that, you know, in case of emergency, you can break the glass and he's going to come in and do whatever's needed to help the team win. So it's a great luxury that he's been able to build that confidence throughout the season. Uh, Mark, before we get into the, the Husky Beaver game, though, any final thoughts about the Ducks performance against the Trojans that, um, you know, you want to break down? Oh, I I totally moved on. I was ready to. Keep okay, I, I'm 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 ready to to load up on Beavs versus Huskies because I I think Jared's tapped into. Yeah. Okay. Here. Well, I didn't want to gloss over any uh, final points that you might have on the on the the Ducks and the and the Trojans, but you know, I think I, I will just say that um, you know, like you said, the game was never really in doubt. Uh, but I was surprised that it didn't it didn't turn into the blowout that I think I expected, especially after Alex Grinch got fired and you know Caleb Williams cried in the stands that that you know maybe the Trojans would just kind of give up. But it it was a neat, at least enough of a fight that it kept it within a respectable point differential. Yeah, the Trojans played played hard. I thought that they they weren't they weren't just there to roll over. Um, I I do think that uh, if you look at the last, so Oregon came out of that Utah game, and Dan Lanning said it was the most complete game that they'd played with him as coach. And if you look at the two games that have happened since Cal, they had a terrible first quarter and then just dominated the last three quarters. And USC, they dominate the first three quarters and then underwhelming fourth quarter to close. And I think for Lanning, it's like you just use that as your coaching points, which is, you know, the two things that Oregon cannot afford to do when they play Oregon State or if they get a chance to play Washington again in the Pac-12 title game is they can't start slow and and they can't end the game with a dud, you know, in the fourth quarter. And so to just kind of hammer home those points of like, we need to be a quick starting team. They handled the quick start part against USC after struggling in the first quarter against Cal. So it's like they aced that test, but then they faded in the fourth quarter. So, um, you know, those are just coaching points that, that they're going to hammer home because ultimately they're going to have to end the season playing a complete game for four quarters against the Beavs and, and then hopefully get a chance to play another complete game against the Huskies. Well, talking about complete games, Oregon State uh, walloped Stanford 62-17 to last week, which I think definitely, uh, for me as a Husky fan, knowing how difficult it was for us to beat Stanford, it kind of put me on notice that, okay, this Oregon State team seems to be firing on all cylinders right now. So, Jared, would you say that that, that was – Oregon State's most complete game thus far and are they playing the best football that they've played all year long right now you know I would say so Uh, I thought they looked really good earlier in the season against Utah I had the chance to go to that game 
and they won 21-7, and Utah scored a very late touchdown. It was could have very easily been 21-0 or 28-0. But, yeah, it was great to see them just uh, blow out Stanford. I, I looked at the score, and I was thinking in my head, oh, it's probably midway through the fourth. And it's like, oh, wow, it's still midway through the third, and they're, you know, up. I don't remember what it was by probably six, 50 to 10 or something like that. But, it, yeah, it was really nice to see them, you know, take a team and then just, you know, keep the foot on the throat and not, you know, not let them catch up like they did uh, somewhat against uh, Colorado. I think mm. they they gave Colorado a chance to come back in the game. Uh, and the week before against Arizona in the loss, um, they they had the opportunity to to go up uh, and and win those games. So it was really nice seeing them uh, play four quarters and then also get some of the the reserves in and, and pull some of the starters in because their secondary has been, been pretty banged up um, throughout the season with multiple guys injured. Um, so it was good to see some reserves get in and, and finish that game and just get some live game reps. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was, it was great just to see a big win. And especially after Stanford uh, beat Wazoo the week before, not that Wazoo's playing very well. They haven't won a game since they beat the Beavers in week four, which is even more painful, makes that loss mm. even more painful. So, yeah. Yeah. Jared, I'm curious. Uh, the Beavers had, you know, one of the big offseason losses for them was all Pac-12 linebacker Omar Spates transferred to LSU. Now LSU has one of the worst defenses in the country this year, mm. and Oregon State is ahead of them in the rankings. Is there any uh, any any word that Omar Spates could actually regain his eligibility with the Beavers in time for for the game this week? Can he recant on his uh, his commitment to LSU this late? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, he you know made a decision. Good for him. Uh, I think he starts. Uh, as far as I know, I haven't kept up a whole lot. I would it, hope but... he's starting. He was an yeah. all club linebacker. He was like one of your best defensive players. And you know, it is really nice because we have had great middle linebacker play this season uh, with Easton Mascarenas Arnold. Uh, he's, I think he leads the conference in tackles. I saw, uh, I mean, he had the pick six last year uh, mm. against uh, the Huskies. And what I liked about that interception is he held on to the ball completely into the end zone and, uh, <laughs> and didn't, didn't drop it at the one yard line. Uh, if so, only someone else had watched that and said note to self. Hold on to the ball when you cross the goal line. Yeah, exactly. So he's been really good. Uh, another middle linebacker, Calvin Hart, transferred from Illinois. Uh, he's had a great season. And this overall, the secondary, even though they've been banged up and they they lost their two starting cornerbacks and a starting safety, Jaden Grant, uh, last year. That was Brian Grant, former Trailblazer. His son was a starter for three years. They lost uh, uh, Rajon Wright and uh, Austin. I forget. Uh, the other cornerback to the NFL. So they lost three starting defensive backs um, and they've, you know, played pretty well. And I think, uh, you know, they match up relatively well. Obviously Washington has some of the best receivers in the country. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think uh, for having been fresh and new starters, they, the secondary has been, been better. And yeah, it's too bad. Uh, Omar Spades isn't playing this year because he'd be having a probably all pack 12 season again. Well, it says something that you lose a player of that caliber and have had the guys that you've had just come in and haven't missed a beat. And I'm, 
like I'm looking at the defensive stats and you've got a dozen different guys that have had multiple tackles for loss this season. The Beavs are one of the best teams in the conference at forcing tackles for loss. Like you've just got all kinds of these different guys that have a way. Andrew Chatfield is the guy that the Huskies need to watch out for. Uh, He's been a monster the past month. Uh, It's had multiple interceptions uh, this season. He's, and I think he's third in the conference with sacks, has nine sacks and uh, kind of a hybrid outside linebacker DN transferred uh, from Florida two seasons ago, mm. had a pretty good season last year, but has really come on late the past month. And uh, I think is arguably just the best defender on the team right now. Um, and just has wreaked havoc in the backfield it's, and played really well, even though they, they rotate. I mean, like most teams, they're, they're kind of a platoon defense. They have probably five DNs, defensive end, outside linebackers that they play. So it's not like he's out there every possession or anything. Um, but, yeah, he's one to watch for. He's very good. Um, and their D-line's gotten a lot better, too. I mean, in the past, they've just been porous at the defensive line, not getting any pressure uh, up front. That's something that they've really improved on this year. And just thinking about that, I think that's almost more of a key to the Beavers' success against the Huskies isn't necessarily the play of the secondary, but I think the play of the defensive line getting pressure on Pinnix and forcing him into some bad throws. Um, obviously, he's up for a Heisman and, and can, you know, has the ability to overcome that, but I think that could be a real key to the game. Yeah, so, Jared, I'd love to just maybe zoom out for just a minute because, you know, when you're talking about overcoming the loss of Omar Spates and, you know, bringing in a guy from an SEC, SEC team like Florida um, and he's thriving there. You know, it just, to me, it speaks so much about what Jonathan Smith has been able to do since taking over uh, as the, the head coach. And of course, Jonathan Smith was the offensive coordinator under Chris Peterson here at the UW uh, during that 2016 CFP run, um, you know, m- most Husky fans love and appreciate Jonathan Smith and what he did as a Husky coach. But, I mean, you couldn't have written the story any better. He's the quarterback for the most successful, you know, Oregon State Beaver team ever. And now he's come back. He's the head coach. And he just seems to have made – all the right moves over the last, uh, you know, five years or so, um, you know, and then ending up last year as the co uh, PAC 12 coach of the year alongside of Kalen DeBoer. So, you know, as a, as a lifelong Beaver fan, what has it been like for you to kind of watch what Jonathan Smith has done and, you know, what is the level of admiration for you know what he's done and and kind of the belief that that he can get get it done in these last two weeks of the of the season i think he you know he himself is kind of the epitome of what the program is now he he walked on uh to oregon state in 98 or 90 i think 97 so 98 was his red shirt freshman year um and ended up being a four-year starting quarterback and he there are guys all throughout the team like that, that have uh, walked on or maybe were a two-star, three-star that uh, he's developed. 
and I think not only he, but the, the, the assistant coaches, they have arguably one of the best offensive line coaches in the country and Jim Mahalchuk, uh, that offensive line has had, uh, multiple walk-ons, uh, start and then obviously earn scholarships. So guys that, you know, they, their center slash right guard, depending on the health status of our current center, Tanner Miller's a walk-on. I think he's 6'1", 280. And pro football focus has him rated as like one of the highest graded uh, offensive linemen in the entire country this year. So he's just develops guys. Uh, you know, they don't have many five stars that have come through the program. Obviously, DJU was, I think, top three or four recruits mm-hmm. when he was in high school. Um, but they, he just has a history of, of turning, you know, three-star guys into legit players. And I think just everyone, the way he coaches, everyone's just bought in the, like the mm-hmm. whole team's just bought into, to his plan. Um, and, you know, it's, it's truly like a, a team that's grown as a team. And it's not because we've gotten, you know, one or two five-star guys. They've, they've been successful because everyone's just developed so well and they don't have many transfers on the team. If you look at it, they only lost three or four, I think to the transfer portal last year. And Mm -hmm. I think only got maybe two or three transfers. So this team has been together for the past three years um, for the most part. And uh, he's just, you know, developed them and, and he himself, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to see it, but people are like, Oh, he should be go to UCLA if Chip Kelly gets fired. You know, you don't want that, but that means your coach has been successful. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, if he was bad, then he wouldn't be on any, you know, names that of, uh, you know, yeah, for the carousel, coaching vacancies. Yeah. So uh, it's cool uh, to have that, but um, it, it's just really nice going into a game knowing that you're not going to get your butt kicked. You know, it's this this program was in in the dumps in. Uh, uh, 20 middle of 2017 when Gary Anderson just decided to pack his bags and just quit on the team, literally middle of the season, you know, at the time, I think they were one in five and then didn't win a game the rest of the season. And then next year, I think they only won two games with Jonathan Smith. Uh, but he's, yeah, like you've mentioned earlier, he's turned the program around relatively quick and it's hard to recruit to Corvallis and he's done it. You know, it's hard right now with the, the conference limbo to recruit, but they got, they already have a really good recruit commitment for class of 2025. Uh, the number one recruit from the state of Oregon, a four-star tight end um, committed a couple weeks ago. So he's, mm. you know, he's still getting some of the recruits. Um, I think in the next few weeks when things are a little more solidified, um, maybe we'll, that'll pick back up a little more, but yeah, it's just, it's so nice just going into a game knowing that, you know, the team's going to be competitive and, and isn't just going to get rolled over and, uh, like they had in the years past, but yeah. Regarding those Jonathan Smith to UCLA rumors, I think those are founded in the fact that he, he grew up in Pasadena, right? That that's yeah, he's from Pasadena. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget the name of the high school where but he's I, from. Uh, I would point out to people, you know, uh, Dan Lanning made this made this comment uh, last year when somebody asked him about another job, and he pretty much said like, "Well, when coaches leave Oregon, they don't do so well, like compared to how they do at Oregon." The same has been true at Oregon State. Like Mike Riley goes from the Beavers to the Chargers, does not go well. Dennis Erickson yeah. leaves from the Beavers and goes to the NFL, does not go well. Mike Riley comes back, has a great run, leaves and goes to Nebraska, doesn't go well. Like if you're winning at Oregon State, like just 
just hang in there and like keep winning. Yeah. Keep doing what you're doing, Jonathan Smith. Yeah. And, and you know, if we end up with this bag of two hundred and fifty million dollars, uh, you know, they could, they'll be able to pay him. Uh, That's right. <laughs> yeah. So I Pack mean, coffers, the Tupac coffers. Uh, yeah, I mean, they they'll have a trophy. They'll have a they'll have a statue of him before he even retires. Who knows? Maybe maybe Washington State and Oregon State will be paying, playing in the Pac-12 final here in a couple of weeks since uh they're the the only two uh members of the board i mean they're obviously not going to do that but uh <laughs> you, yeah hey well, i did so, oh i'm sorry right, so i was just gonna say you know the the three teams represented here tonight are currently 27 and 3 and in the top 11 in the country so what that means is that the should next, be 10 i know i well yeah it should be four you know, four, six, and ten. I agree, but, um, but with that being said, the stakes for these games are ginormous, and you know, so so kind of a question. Let me ask. Let me ask both questions, and I'll let Jared answer first, and then I'll let Mark answer second. So, Jared, if you could pick winning one of the next two games which one would you pick like just from a heart level or whatever you know whatever reasoning you have for if you could take one of the next two which one would it be and then mark similarly who are you going to be cheering for this saturday as the you know the dogs go into corvallis so jared why don't you fire away first what if you could only have one, which one would it be? I mean, it would be cool to to take out a a, a ten and O team, you know, that's ranked fifth in the country. But I there's nothing there'd be nothing sweeter than to go to Eugene and uh, beat the beat or beat the Ducks on the the last uh, rivalry game of of the foreseeable future. Um, I'm I'm have the opportunity to go to that game as well, and I'm unfortunately I'm working this Saturday, so. I'm going to be hit and miss and watching the Husky uh, Beaver game, but I mean, it it would be amazing to to finish that rivalry and and uh, beat the Ducks at Autzen and and uh, it's it's nothing sweeter than being in Autzen and watching uh, Duck fans as the team's losing. You 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 won't see a fan base turn so quickly on a on a team. Uh, it's yeah, and it, and Duck fans get so triggered. If someone around them is cheering for the other team, it's like, how dare you cheer for the other team? Uh, so, it, yeah, I would be. It would be so much fun, and I'm going with another Beaver alum to that game, sitting yeah. with my my in laws uh, in their section. Uh, so, hopefully, uh, we make it out alive one way or another. I love it. I love it, and and I can definitely agree with what you're saying. It feels so great to walk out of Autzen Stadium as the winner uh, on the road. So yeah, Mark, how about you? If uh, well, if you had to choose which which team are you going to be rooting for this weekend between the Dogs and the Beavers? Well, I've, I've been in discussion with this with my fellow Duck fans, uh, and we have unanimously agreed that it is it is definitely in the Ducks' best interest as far as their own playoff positioning 
to have the Huskies continue to win and have an undefeated record going into the Pac-12 title game so that Oregon has the chance to avenge their only loss of the regular season by beating an undefeated Washington. That would be the most impressive statement to make to the college football playoff committee. And so all of these wins that Washington keeps pulling out like a magician pulling a rabbit out of a hat, we keep telling ourselves, no, this is good for us. And yet each one of these games, I find myself in the fourth quarter going, Oh, come on, Utah. Come on, come on, Arizona state. Come on, Stanford. Like, and so there's no way that if this game is close in the fourth quarter that I'm not going to be pulling for the Beavers to uh, upend this dream season for the Huskies. And I would love nothing more than to add to that misery by attacking another loss onto the Husky season. And then all of the quacking jokes that you've made about how Oregon ascended the end of the, their seasons in recent years. You know, I would I would love to be able yeah. to... Uh, to have the opportunity to make some similar comments about a, a dream season for the Huskies that just fell apart in the last three weeks. So I, I will absolutely be rooting for the Beavers, even with the knowledge that that may be undermining uh, Oregon's ultimate playoff hopes. Yeah. I mean, if the Beavers just ran roughshod over the Huskies and the Ducks the next two weeks, and it ended up that, that the Huskies were facing the Beavers in the Pac-12 championship uh, and the Ducks were on the outside, you know, like Jared, like, would you be like, just like, uh, you know, melting down with excitement? I mean, that would have to be like the greatest moment in the history of your life as a, a Beaver fan. I mean, on par with the birth of both my sons, definitely. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I'm just uh just kidding uh but seriously um, yeah <laughs> yeah I mean it would be it would be amazing I'm just trying to you know take it one game at a time and uh, one no mentality really savor this season it's been fun it's been difficult to have a couple losses uh that probably shouldn't have happened but you know that happens it's conference is is loaded Arizona is playing great so that 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 loss is you know, it's happened it is what it is, but yeah, it would be amazing. I, uh, I think Reeser is going to be rocking this Saturday. Uh, you know, they've made it a little smaller, the stadium, but it's, it's loud. Um, at going to the UCLA game and then the Utah game that, that place, um, really makes a difference, uh, and helps the Beavers definitely, especially on defense. I know teams don't like hearing that, that chainsaw, it gets pretty annoying, but I, I love hearing it and, uh, I think, you know, Oregon State student sections, I think the best in the conference. Uh, I mean, strategically placed right on top of the field, the first 10 rows, the entire half of the stadium uh, makes a big difference for for crowd noise. Uh, I heard that uh, they're blaring the the beaver or the chainsaw noise in practice mm-hmm. uh, in uh, Seattle all week. Um, yeah. But, I mean, they're, they're, Washington's a good team, so I think it's going to be a good game. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, it would be amazing if they they won both those games. So I think the only yeah. place that would be a more difficult environment for the Huskies this Saturday would be James Madison. Oh, which is where ESPN College <laughs> to go instead of. Oh uh, wow, that's match. where that's they've already not... been like three times in the past ten years, three or four times, and, and game day hasn't been to Corvallis since 2010. And the only reason they went was because 
if Oregon won, they were going to go to the national championship. That's right. And then, right. you know, one of those great duck fans decided to catch the field on fire as well after the game. Uh, just uh, real... James... Game day hasn't been to James Madison before, have they? Yes, they have. Yep. I think at really? least three times, potentially four times. Yeah. Oh, so well, maybe, maybe uh, they really. It's, it is spite. ESPN is contributing. Yeah. The, the media conglomerates want the downfall of Oregon State. Uh, oh, they are 100 convinced. Yes, I I I am a full subscriber to that conspiracy theory for sure. So. I mean, they call them the Ducks. They did a power ranking Saturday night. Yeah, I saw that after they released the uh, that they were going to JMU, and of, of course they lit called the Beavers the Ducks, and they fixed it. But I think it's all intentional. Honestly, I don't. I you know you could call me a tinfoil hat, whatever. I think it's all intentional, and they're. That's why I'm glad the duck or beavers are going for that uh, 500 million bag to split with the the Cougs. So, mm-hmm. so they're not coming to game day to uh, Oregon State, but it is the primetime game on ABC. Are we correct? Uh, yeah, Kirby and Fowler, 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 Herb Street game. Yeah. So that's deserving of the stature of this match. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, poor Herbie has to hop on a plane and fly across the country. It, and I mean, I'm sure he'll ride a private jet or whatever, but uh, yeah, it is too bad. Do they have an airport in Corvallis? Ooh, yeah, they do. They do have an airport in Corvallis. Not <laughs> a uh, not one of the international uh, commercial airports, unfortunately. It's quite hilarious to hear a duck making fun of the size of the town of a beaver. I, I would live in Corvallis any day over Eugene. And I think most people would. I, would. I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that. My mom grew up in Corvallis. I used to visit my grandparents there. It's a lovely, lovely town. Yes, lovely you can town. smell the cows from the Oregon State dairy when the when the wind uh, comes in from the west. It is true. But yeah, whatever. Well, uh, Jared, before we wrap up with a few quick thoughts about Oregon's game against uh, Dillingham and the Arizona State uh, Sun Devils, do you have any you know final thoughts about this Washington Oregon State matchup? Like I said, I think it's going to be a great game. I uh, I don't know like a lot of the individual players in the Huskies. Obviously, Michael Penix and Odunze and uh, I think McMillan will be back. He was back this week, right? Um, you know that kind of is the question of the week. It's been rumored that he's going to be back for the last five weeks in a row. So. Mm-hmm. There's really no telling. He did play against Utah, yeah. but no targets, no receptions. So okay. whether or not he has any influence in this game is yet to be determined. But I will say this, that uh, absent of a fully recovered Jalen McMillan, the bigger storyline may be the return of Giles Jackson. Uh, and so, you know, just as a quick recap, Giles was declared out for the season before the season started. And then mysteriously and miraculously, he showed up to play against the University of Oregon and scored a a touchdown on the opening uh, drive of the game, or at least the first quarter, and ended up having four or five clutch catches that really made him a hero in that game. But since the Oregon game, 
they've only played him two other times because they've been trying to determine whether or not they can preserve his eligibility for another year. And so if he plays this Saturday, which we all anticipate he will, that will be his fourth game of the season, which will mean he's out for the Washington State game. But I can't imagine going on the road against the number 11 team in the country that the Huskies aren't going to put every bullet that they've got into the gun and hope for the best. So, so there is a chance that this Beaver team could see on Saturday uh, a Husky offense that has Michael Penix, Dylan Johnson, Roma Dunze, Jalen McMillan, Giles Jackson, Jeremy Bernard, Jalen Polk, Jack Westover, Devin Culp. You know, it could be the most complete offensive team we've had all year long. But will it make any difference against a really good Oregon State defense? We'll find out on Saturday. Yeah, it's it's going to be – I think it's going to be a great game. I It'll be interesting to see uh, out just the line of scrimmage, how uh, well the Huskies defend uh, Damian Martinez and Deshaun Fenwick. Um, two really good backs. I think we're, we're waiting to hear the status of Jake Levin. Good uh, Oregon State starting center. He did not play last week. So hopefully he's back. Um, if not, Tanner Miller um, will slide over from guard to center. Um, and then they'll, they'll have one, you know, a, another backup, but they, they do have a really good offensive line. The Beavers, uh, Tally Fuaga, the right tackles likely to go uh, in second round of the NFL draft. I think rated number top 10 right tackle in the country. So I, th- I think if Oregon State's offensive line does well, um, that'll really be key. And, and as long as DJU makes smart decisions, I think they have every shot to win this game. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean, we'll see. This is a Beaver team that has scared me since before the season even started. Uh, you know, I think I've been on record as saying that like, this is the game that I penciled in as a loss for the Huskies, just knowing the gauntlet that they were going to have to go through in the month of November. One other name just to be mindful of, is Tuli Latuli Gasanoa. He is uh, one of our best defensive tackles. I can spell it. I won't, but I can. Uh, But but he has been uh, injured for the last few weeks. He did play against Utah, but was on a limited snap count. And uh, I think that, that most Husky fans believe that going into this Oregon state game, they're going to take off any restrictions in terms of his playing. And because of the style of offense that Oregon state has being that big plug in the middle, he could be a critical factor in this game. Mm -hmm. And so uh, he's not Vita Vea. All right. I mean, he's not, he's not going to blow up the middle of the line like, you know, Steve Entman or Vita Vea or even Greg Gaines, but he could be enough to help slow them down and keep some of those seven yard gashes to three yards uh, in, in this game. But yeah, I'm, you know, Martinez and Fenwick are going to give me night nightmares all week long because that is a day that is maybe 
comparably with Oregon, that is one of the most dangerous running back duos in the Pac-12 for sure. And number two in the country, according to Big Game Boomer today, I saw. Okay. Mark always laughs at my – I sent his – Who's I number one? Ah, uh, shoot. Um, I didn't not, not Oregon? Then. No, they were like okay. sixth or seventh. About um, Irving and James, it has no validity. Uh, no, in case people think we're overdoing it on the praise of these Oregon State running backs, I should note that – so Oregon State's best four running backs historically, Ken Simonton, Jaquiz Rogers – Evanson, Bernard, Stephen Jackson, all over 3,000 yards for their career. Martinez and Fenwick average on a yards per carry basis. Both of them are ahead of all four of those great backs. Damian Martinez is basically a yard and a half ahead of all of those guys on a, on a yards per carry basis. So, like, this is a really dynamic backfield, and I, I think it's absolutely going to be the make or break thing of the game. If Washington mm. slows down those two forces DJU into a lot of third and longs, that's, that's going to really swing the game. If Washington can't get off the field and it's five, six, seven yards of carry. Uh, I think, I think that's going to be the key for the Beavers, you know, pulling out the upset Warren, this would be an upset. <laughs> the Husky, the, if the Huskies oh, yeah. win, it'll be an upset. <laughs> No, going on the the road against a team that's favored to beat them. Yeah, well, (laughs) maybe Vegas just has a upset feeling to them right now. All right, I just looking. It was Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards uh, that he had his number one uh, running back duo. duo, Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Mark, nobody really cares, but tell us about the the Ducks and and the Sun Devils this weekend. Uh, yeah, real quickly, t- t- two small notes. Uh, one, <laughs> last time, last time uh, the Ducks were in this position, 2019, they had a nine and one start uh, under Mario Cristobal. That was Justin Herbert's senior year. They went down to Arizona State. They fell behind 24 to seven to a freshman quarterback named Jaden Daniels, mm. who is now, of course, one of the leading Heisman contenders over at LSU. Yeah with omar spates uh and uh yeah and oregon lost that game probably the best win of herm edwards uh tenure at arizona state and it ruined oregon's chances of uh of a national title appearance so you hate I to see it <laughs> i don't think that uh i don't think that 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 is necessarily a concern this arizona state team has been so so badly injured uh they went into this ucla game did you guys see this so they beat ucla 17 to 7 kenny dillingham was running like swinging gate plays on like just regular plays it's like third and three and they line up in the swinging gate and convert it for a first down or they they lined up in one formation called the flying wedge which i'd never even heard of before um they at one point they lost their third string quarterback trenton bourget who keeps uh, having this nagging ankle injury and so they put their running back cameron scatabo in and they basically just ran him as a wildcat quarterback for multiple series mm-hmm. they had their uh their tight end shift into a quarterback and take a couple snaps and throw a couple passes like kenny dillingham was was basically doing to chip kelly what chip kelly used to do uh before he lost his fastball which is like he was just doing everything he could to give his team a schematic advantage and it worked it got arizona state a win it probably cost chip kelly his job yeah uh, 
think the job that Dillingham has done this year, despite all of those injuries, to get a couple Pac-12 wins, they've been super competitive in every game except the Utah game. Mm -hmm. Uh, They gave the Huskies all that they could handle. They gave USC a really good game. So this is a team that plays really hard. Um, They're not going to fold. They're not going to quit. But at the same time, I think – Oregon, you know, they're 23 and a half point favorites. Like if they don't win this yeah. game, it's one of the all-time crushing losses. So they they should absolutely take care of business. And I don't anticipate it's going to be close heading into the fourth quarter. Well, Mark, there's a very strong argument to be made that this is the best seven loss team in the country. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably probably true. So, you know, I mean, you gotta you gotta respect. You got to respect the best seven loss team in the country that lost 29 to zero to Fresno state in the third game of the season. What was the score when they played Washington? What? Oh, I don't remember. Oh. Uh, you know, it, it, uh, we've got a one and zero mentality, Mark. We, we've forgotten all about that. Yeah. yeah. We, we've got a championship one and zero mentality. Next man up, you know, just insert cliche here. So, but yeah, um, yeah they, they yeah, barely ahead, beat Jerry. Southern Utah their first game of the year. Just looking back at the schedule, they beat a uh, – I think Southern Utah is probably one of the worst teams in the big sky. Uh, they won 24-21, though they only lost by 12 to, to Oklahoma State the next week. So, it's yeah, they are definition they led, of streaky. They led that game, that Oklahoma State game at halftime too. I mean, they're no, if you take away the Fresno game and the Utah game, and they've been in every game like into the fourth quarter. Yeah. And they, they played, they played USC really well, you know, on the road. And um, obviously it took almost a miracle for Colorado to beat them. Yeah. They they lost a couple last second field goals. Yeah. They took, they took the Cougars down. um, And so, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's definitely a team that has proven that they can bow up and they can, they can make a tough game of it, but um, I wouldn't be too worried if I were a Duck fan this weekend. So, uh, Jared, so great having you on the show today. Uh, Thank you're you always welcome me. to join us. You know, I just, whenever I'm, you know, around you, I just think, man, I really like that guy. So, <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. It's, it's been fun talking to you guys. Uh, um, yeah, I wish you guys the best traveling to, to Rutgers, uh, on a Friday night next uh, season. Uh, oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Jared, <laughs> no, well, do you want to give us, give us some, uh, give us uh, two predictions here uh, before you go. Like what, what, how do you see the next two weeks oh. playing out for your beeves as they try to uh, take the PNW? All right. So uh, just to guess for this weekend, uh, I predict Oregon state to beat the Huskies in Corvallis Let's say, uh, all right, 42-34. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, I you call me a bad fan. I just don't see how the Beavers are going to beat the Ducks the next week. Uh, I, I think Ducks win a close one. I think Beavers are going to be competitive. Uh, I just, you know, I, they're, Oregon's a really solid team. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it's, I think ducks win a close one in Eugene. Jared, I've always said you were a great man of wisdom. So I, <laughs> I, I think, yeah, I, I, said here, I agree with, 
<laughs> it's yeah. It's hard to dislike a beaver, so I'll 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 oh. let it go. But all right, guys. Well, this has been great uh, for all my dog fans out there. Go dogs! For all my duck fans, go ducks! Go beeves! <laughs> all right, thanks, Jared. Thanks, you guys. We'll catch you next time. Thank you, Husky Nation. It's the end of the third quarter. Are you looking for the perfect tequila for your next get together? The answer is born from a hero, Hero de Leon. Direct from the prestigious Murguia family, just outside Guadalajara, honoring their great-grandfather who saved Mexico from a horrible civil war. It's authentic, courageous, with great integrity, just like the general. Enjoy the smoothest Blanco tequila you've ever tasted, or the rich flavor of our Reposado, aged for seven months in American bourbon barrels. Or the ultimate tequila, our Añejo, which is aged for 18 months in the same bourbon oak barrels. Go to your favorite liquor retailer or restaurant and ask for Hero de Leon because it's always the end of the third quarter. Imported by Zombie Beverages, Mercer Island, Washington.